Hey folks, in this episode of the This Week in Photo podcast, I'm speaking with Kim Henry and Eric Paré. We're gonna be talking about painting with light. This is Twitter. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the podcast, I have some illuminating discussions for you. I get to sit down with two people that you probably already know about. If you have any interest in the topic or the subject line or the title of this video, um, light painting. Right, what is light painting? It's been around for years, uh, forever, since the beginning of photography, but some people are taking it literally to the next level and beyond. Eric and Kim are two such people. They've built a career around painting with light, painting with light showing people how to paint with light, and educating, and all the things. They create some fantastic art. They're getting into Web3 and NFTs, all the things that you wanna be doing, they're already doing. I have the honor of having them both on the podcast today to talk about the stuff that they're working on. Eric and Kim, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hi, Frederick. Thanks for having us. No. We're super happy. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's an honor. I'm a fan and a subscriber and, uh, you know, looking from afar at the just magic that you guys create. I'll tell you, one of the one of the more inspiring things about the work that you create beyond the beauty of the, the pieces is the way that you guys work together. Right. You guys are like a great team. It comes through on camera and all the work that you do. Not everybody has that you know, the the ability to work with their partner and create amazing work together and travel the world and do all this stuff. So bravo, bravo for that bit alone there. So let, let's talk, you know, let's dive into the conversation. I wanna, I wanna first start with sort of introductions to who you guys are. For the folks that may not be familiar with, with Eric and Kim um, and or light painting, who, who is the dynamic duo and how'd you guys get into the space of you know, creating art with light? He always, <laughs> he always does that. <laughs> always put me on the spot. <laughs> Good, all right, you're on the spot, Kim. Here it is. You have the dynamic. Uh, <laughs> um, do we like light painting actually? Because I was uh, listening to your introduction. It sounds super good, but uh, do I even care about light painting? Do you care about light painting? Yeah, we do. We're going to demystify all of that today. So what's the story, Kim? <laughs> um, so what can I say? Well, do you want to start from your perspective before? Because. Eric has been doing light painting before I got into um, like the development of this uh, technique and this artistic process that we have together. So do you want to start about? Well, I ditched my, my soft boxes a long time ago, my strobes, all of that. I was a studio photographer, okay? Mm. I learned uh, like, we're in a photography podcast, okay? So I assume that your listeners know about the studio. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, I still have all of that, but I don't use those anymore because I found another way that was more interesting for me. So instead of using, instead of placing a softbox on the light stand and then being behind your camera, why not being the softbox and lighting the subject by hand, okay? And that was one of the first tools that I used uh, probably 10 years ago, okay, so it's a sheet of paper. That shoots a bill from this Montreal city. <laughs> <laughs> so, if I wrap, so if I wrap my sheet of paper around the flashlight and I turn it on like this, okay, then I get some kind of a, a small softbox. Okay, let me just take it a bit better like, like this. All right, all right. So it's it's so obvious, okay? Just look at the quality of the light on her face. Yeah. So it's not about light painting itself. It's about using kind of studio tools, like replicating the studio tools, but by hand. So you're not behind the camera. You're the you're you're with the subject, and it's way more fun. And aren't you stretching that out over time though, right? So, you know, use the example of a softbox. Softboxes are great, although my last interview with Jake Hicks, he was talking about how he hates softboxes because <laughs> he's, you know, the color gel guy. Um, yeah. 
but you know he with soft boxes the short duration of the strobe lets you pose take the shot and go on to the next shot with light painting or with the flashlight Kim or your subject has to stay still while you do the work, right? So yeah. does that is that limiting or freeing? Both. <laughs> it's, it's bringing a couple of constraints, of course. Uh, she cannot jump during the shot, okay? That's for sure, because yeah. it's not a flash, okay? I'm not going to freeze uh, the action. Uh, but there's something more satisfying, at least for me, for the way I work. Um, so when I started to do like painting, it was uh, about 10 years ago, and there were not a lot of uh, ways, uh, not a lot of artists doing that um, uh, with portraits. And most of the things I was seeing was uh, long exposures of about one minute, uh, which was cool, but it was either a bit soft because one minute is, is a long time to stay still, or it was by using strobe, like mi mixing strobes and light painting. And I was not a big fan uh, of this for what I was trying to do. I was trying to get everything in a one shot, like the trace of the light the um, and the quality of the light on the subject itself. Okay, so it's the way I achieved that after a couple of months of trial and errors is by doing a one second exposure. So it goes pretty much like this. Okay, one second and uh, and we're done. Yeah. yeah. So I'm drawing the light around my subject, and it's pretty simple in the end. Right. Yeah. The simple technique, but the result, I mean, you know, you're oversimplifying it, right? Because there's a lot, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot more to it. I mean, how do you get the perfect arc, right? You know, like the photo that you have on the screen right now in the lower corner, like, how do you get that? How do you get that perfect arc there? You know, what's the trick for that? Is it something simple or is it experience? You know, you know, there's a lot more to it than just moving the light for a second, right? Yeah. We like to, um, I like to see it like as a performance creative process for both of us actually, because I need to stay still and I'm uh, like, mm. my background is in dance, so I'm a performer. Uh, but as Eric is also in front of the camera and uh, almost like dancing with the light, depending on the shape that he does, um, so yeah, so there's a performative aspect to it. And as far as the shape itself, like the shape of the light is concerned, I think it's it's like body memory. It's like, it's really, I really see it like dance, you know, like uh, you practice a movement and then it becomes kind of second nature. Your body knows um, where your light is um, in relationship to your subject and to your own body. So it becomes mm -hmm. like a, yeah, dance or sport. Uh, you know, like uh, the body kind of records the has a memory of the movement. It's a it's a dance between the both of you, though, right? Because Kim, you're doing the fluid, you know, poses that come from your your dance background, and then Eric has to kind of do the fluid dance around you with the light at the same time. I want to see that. That's that's got <laughs> that is art in and of itself. Though the performance of the image that you're creating is another layer of the art, right? Yeah, so this is a, uh, a picture of, uh, of us on the field. So I'm simply behind Kim with, uh, with my light. And so as you can see, I'm just drawing a circle. And you said that I'm oversimplifying, but in the case of a circle, it's so easy. And that's why the, the, the technique got so popular also. Like there are tens of thousands of people doing it now. Yeah. And the circle is the easiest way to to, to actually achieve, achieve it uh, using a long light painting tube. What are, yeah. Eric, what, 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 I'm sorry, Kim, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was gonna say, what are the basics for it in terms of exposure, right? You're, you're on a, you're on a, I'm assuming this is a beach, but you're on, you're somewhere, it's night, it's dark, you got your camera, it's on a tripod. Is there a, is there a set exposure that you use all the time or does it vary depending on conditions? Yeah, so what are the perfect settings for a shot like this, Kim? Mm -hmm. uh, the perfect settings are the one you need to use. <laughs> it's never the same. <laughs> it's never the same. Yeah, never the same. It's, but the, the, if you know about landscape photography, you know about mm -hmm. how to, to expose for, for this. So uh, yeah. the technique is simple, you expose for the background. 
Okay, so let's say, because it's going to change a lot depending on the time of the night you're shooting. So during the blue hour, it changes every minute. Okay, so yeah, you have to keep adjusting the settings. But basically, it's one second, and then you, 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 uh, you adjust your ISO and uh, f-stop depending on the ambient light. And mm -hmm. then you have to counterbalance with the brightness of the tube. So I have a chart about how to mix these things because at first it's, it's, it's a bit tricky, but um, the best way to start is to, to work just at night without the blue hour, where if you just work with the stars, it's always the same setting. It's going to be uh, eight seconds, ISO uh, 3200, and f2.8. That's it. You just keep yeah. the same settings and you can play with the stars until you fade out and you, <laughs> so you run out of battery, right? So, <laughs> no, that's that's interesting. I know a lot of photographers watching this are like, what's the formula? There's got to be a secret formula or at least a starting point. And I want to get into that because I know, you know, I'm uh, saying that tongue in cheek, but that's a good starting place. Eight seconds, 3200 ISO at F8 and then, you know, kind of play around from there. But then there's also the gear you use. Like you started with that flashlight and piece of paper. Clearly this shot that you have on screen now is not that right so you've evolved yeah. cameras have evolved in their you know the their low noise and low light capability and all the things so how now where are we now look at this this is this is crazy this is awesome so yeah this is typical of our work and this is even simpler than a circle it's just a door so you go from top to bottom so what is the the tool to do this it, it's just a plastic tube okay so this is a uh, three feet and a half tube, and I simply put a flashlight inside of it. Okay, so just like this, and then I can turn on the light, and it looks like this. Okay, so yeah. I simply went behind him with that tube, and I did that door. Lightsaber. It looks so simple, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that looks deceptively simple, but then. <laughs> So then here's where the nuances come in. And I know people are thinking, okay, that's great, but okay, you get, you're you're the photographer. You're setting all this up. Kim, you're the subject. Is there a third person there triggering it? Are you using a self-timer? Is it just because it's so dark and you're moving with black clothes on? You're not registering? How does that piece work? Yeah, so it's just Kim and I. Uh, we love to travel together and go to remote places. And, <laughs> and I don't know, it's just the way we've been working forever. And we have many friends go out in the fields. Uh, there are a bunch of people, like there are 10, and they, they, they help each other. And that, that's, that's super cool, too. But the way we've been working uh, since 2015 is just the two of us. So I have this uh, remote trigger in my left hand and the light in my right hand, so there's ah. no trigger on the camera itself. So I'm going to press the shutter uh, with this, and then it starts the, uh, the exposure, which is going to last between one and eight seconds. I do my movement, and that's it. We get the shot. Now, are you, are you running back to the camera to check it after every shot, or do you do a bunch of, a bunch of shots and then go back and check and adjust? Most of the time, we are actually in uh, locations where, where it's kind of complex to mm -hmm. go like, to the camera. So usually the way we work is uh, we'll do like a series, um, like maybe up to 10 shots maybe, depending yeah. on uh, the, the workflow. And then Eric will go back to the camera. And most of the time, if we're shooting during the blue hour, you will have to adjust the settings because to keep the same exposure time, like you will need to adjust a few things in order to have like the background. Um, uh, visible, well um, exposed, and then uh, according to what he sees, he will also adjust the the tool, either like the power of the flashlight or even the color, because the sky is changing really fast. So, it these are very. I like to to like put the emphasis on the fact that these are simple uh, concepts. These are um, there's something simple about the technique itself, but then when you get into like all the nitty-gritty details, this is where it, it gets juicy and complex and yeah. for us stimulating actually. Yeah. yeah. That's what we're talking about every night before going to bed. These <laughs> small details, how can we improve the small uh, things? And she has those crazy ideas all the time. Can we try this? And and then we just talk for hours about where we can bring this. Uh, and just to continue on the um, uh, me getting back and forth, so uh, yeah. on that picture, Kim is on the rock, 
uh, and there's water all around her. So I had to, I have to step on the same rock to, uh, to do the light painting and then to review the images, I have to go in the water and it's, it's a big loop okay, to, to see the images. So that's why I'm going to do at least 10 images uh, when I know that the framing is right. But then I have to go back behind the camera just to have a look of uh, how it looks like. And I remember like on that specific shot, it was kind of tricky just to, to move, uh, to go to the camera. But sometimes also we work in sand dunes and you, you see where I'm going with this. Uh, mm -hmm. Where are my footprints? So it's like, I'm not going to waste time in Photoshop to remove my footprints. Uh, <laughs> too, uh, too lazy for this. So I run back and forth and that's, <laughs> that's keeping me in shape. Light painting is a good way to stay healthy, everyone. <laughs> That's amazing. I was going to ask you that because I, I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, I remember seeing a video um, that you guys produced where it, you were far, right? I mean, this, this seems pretty far here, but you were really far away and you were, I think you were triggering it remotely. Um, but is there, I guess the basis of the question is, is there a particular focal length that you, that you are more attracted to or do you, is it, does it matter? Matter, or does it, is it based on the location that you're at and what you both are feeling for the final shot? Yeah, I guess that what you saw was a, a stop. We were trying to see if it could work with a 400 millimeter lenses. We even tried at 800. And not a big success. It's just fun to try, but yeah. my, my favorite focal length would, would be probably uh, 24. Um, I'm always out in the field with two or three cameras. These days it's more three. So I have 14, 24, and 35. So this way I have, I take the shot with two different focal lengths. So I have kind of a different framing or sometimes one horizontal, one vertical. And the third camera is filming. And uh, I'm going to switch all of them. So I have video footage from all focal lengths. It's a bit tricky, but this is how I, I love to work with yeah. uh, multiple camera setup. That's great. That's great. There's so much here. So the you guys have educational resources up there, right? That that are available for people to to grab. What what can I get? Like what if if I'm a photographer and I'm like, okay, like here here's a perfect example. I'm flying to Hawaii uh, later this week for the holiday and for my birthday. I'm bringing my Nikon, you know, Z62 and the 24 to 70 lens and a tripod. I want to try some of this on the beach. What do I need to do? Like, what is somebody that just has never done this and they want to get started? What do they need to do? They get your educational resources. Do I just go get a good flashlight from Target? Like, what do, what do I do? Okay, so um, we have about 200 videos about that topic, but that's way too much. Uh, how, where do you start with this? So we have yeah. one page that's guiding you, like the best tutorials that we made when you're getting started. And in your case, to answer your specific question, uh, you would need just one plastic tube, one flashlight, a tripod, of course, okay, mm -hmm. because you want to put your camera on the rock. It's going to be hard to do the framing. <laughs> on the beach. And yeah, that, but that's, that's about it. So, so then it, when you become a bit more um, uh, interested about going deep in the technique, then you, you see that you need a more fancy flashlight, a uh, flashlight uh, that you can pop on and off using a pressure switch because mm. this is how you can draw different strokes of light during the same exposure. And that kind of uh, pressure switch is not made for us light painters, okay? There's nothing made for, for us. Uh, this, is, this goes on your gun when you're hunting, okay? Yeah. And we're using it for art, but it's not the main purpose. But when you have this, oh, then wow. it's more fancy way of doing the light. Okay, mm -hmm. so you can do your light painting within the exposure of your camera. I used to do the opposite. I used to do. I used to keep my light on during the whole exposure. So once you're in exposure, one circle inside of it. But as I got more into it, now I'm, I'm always doing the ex, the the light painting within the the exposure. So my light painting could be like half a second sorry, half a second during a one second exposure. So it, okay. gives, you, it, it gives them also like more control on uh, the actual trace of light, uh, that um, the traces of light that are possible. Because if you have, um, if you need to do the, the light painting during the whole exposure time of uh, the picture, um, 
it means that you have less options. You cannot do, for instance, a shape. Uh, do you have something maybe with a double? Anyway, that, that being said, it, it gives more uh, artistic freedom in the way we um, draw the light. That's for sure. That's gorgeous. These are all just this stunning and gorgeous. So, which which begs the question? Oh, we we have, go back to that one. We have to talk about that uh, before we get in the, the bullet time <laughs> shot. <laughs> so, okay. So, folks that are listening to this on the podcast, if you're familiar with the Matrix and that that one bullet time shot that they did of Neo dodging bullets and all that stuff, um, they recreated that. Eric or both of you, can you talk about that? Like, what was what was the driving force behind that? Was it a client, or was it you guys were just sitting around one day saying, "Hey, we should try this and then do it"? What, what was the driving force? But, but actually, just to to finish on that point, because I think this is yeah. the best example we have with the pressure switch. So you see, we oh, okay. have four yeah. traces. We have four traces of light on this shot. Okay, so this is how I achieved that is by pressing the, the button four times while being in motion around mm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, and to answer your question, it's going to take a half an hour. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> where everything started, within a 360-degree environment. So... Uh. Yeah, um, I learned. Sorry, sorry, Eric. You never should have brought that photo up. So now I, I can't <laughs> let it go. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. And this is how I learned light painting. Okay, because like this is today. Okay? This is the studio as it is today with 176 cameras. But uh, I started with way less than this in the super tiny studio. I had only uh, access to 24 cameras. And the studio was super small, and I had my knowledge of using soft boxes, but using this, I was lighting up the whole rig, the whole uh, room, and it was ugly. So uh, just by trying things, uh, the best answer, the best solution was to use light painting, like a, a very concentrated source of light around my subject. And so I kept pushing to, uh, to get better at this. Uh, I wanted to make a project in 360, uh, something artistic, because uh, prior to this, uh, I was um, programming that system. This, this was part of my life. Uh, my, my job was to, to connect multiple cameras together. Uh-huh. And we were doing just live events uh, and having fun, but nothing artistic. And, uh, but at some point, I wanted to make, just to see, like to explore what could I do with this technology? And because I, have, I had access to this, I, I had the, the software. So um, after a few months, um, I came up to, the, to this one second light painting technique uh, that was helping me to light up my subject without revealing the cameras around me and still getting a very crisp image like, for the subject. Mm-hmm. Of course, that requires the subject to stay still for one second, to not breathe for one second, but it is manageable. And that's, that was kind of the starting point for, for me. And that's actually exactly 10 years ago uh, where, when I was doing this, hoping to get featured on big uh, photography websites in order to get projects with this. And that worked. That was the plan, and that worked. Oh. I'm still, I'm still rolling on that. <laughs> Ten years later. That's great. Uh, you know, what? you you read my mind because that was that was one of my next questions. Is we, what as artists, both of you, what what is the driving force for creating the work? Is it like you mentioned before? You like to travel. Both of you like to travel to exciting places and explore and do photography there. Is the travel the the main reason for creating the work? Is it you creating work for sale? Is it the education, you know, or, or teaching other photographers how to do it and making those resources available, both software or uh, educational and hardware? What is the driving force that that gets you guys, you know, excited about going to the next location? It's always creative work. Okay, we do mm-hmm. what we uh, what we want to do. This is uh, just an urge to to make something. Uh, interesting something that we would be proud of but at the same time i know that this is the way to to get paid in the long run this is how we get uh, gigs with 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 brands and so just by delivering good quality work uh, we we get seen by agencies or by brands and then we we can work on 
um, that kind of techniques. And, and one uh, example from this year, uh, we had one shot in 360 uh, with some ghosting effect of a dancer. And somehow someone working for Apple saw that and they wanted to replicate that for the iPad Air uh, ad that, uh, that got released a few months ago. So it's crazy, you know, you do That's personal great. work. You just release things on Instagram, on, on TikTok, and then you can, can get seen. So never underestimate like the power of just doing things that you really want to do so the and that that's been working for me for for 10 years now but i don't that come great. from that world i i, I had no contact in agencies or in uh, the creative world at, at all i was just i was just following the photography blogs like a lot of people are doing but i saw that was kind of the way if you get published on there then it might open the door for something uh, bigger isn't that the smart way to do it? You know, a lot of that is brilliant, right? So you, you, you are aware that, okay, I need to make something to get noticed so that brands and, you know, other clients will see it and instantly understand that this is what I'm trying to do and then hire me versus, you know, I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm just going to keep learning and doing stuff. And maybe one day I'll create something that people like, and then I'll be, successful and well-known and all that so it's not like you you guys thought it out you're like okay let's what kind of beast are we trying to feed let's get the right food for that beast and create it and then everyone's happy so you know you I will, I, yeah I, go I, ahead I would, kim i would add on to that um and that, that would be like the education part of it because yeah. that's also a big motivation for us and it has been since the beginning actually uh we've been teaching and sharing about light painting since 2015, probably before that. Wow. Um, and having that in mind, when we were going somewhere to create, like for, for the sake of creation, for, um, uh, yeah, for the love of creation, we also always had in mind, how can we communicate better? How can we make it simpler, more understandable, uh, clearer, so that people can actually try it and make this technique their own. So, and by by this dire desire of doing so, we improved a lot. We learned a lot, and it, it kind of pushed us to, um, I, I guess, get better at, at our craft, probably much faster than if we did not try to communicate and teach uh, from the beginning. So I think that's an important part of the motivation or what is motivating us um, in this journey yeah yeah teaching teaching or trying to explain a concept to someone I think always sort of solidifies it in your brain because you're forced to think through all the nuances from someone who doesn't understand how to do that and where you may they call it the curse of knowledge right where you automatically know of course everyone knows that light behaves like this when they may not so when you're explaining you have to fill in all those holes within solidifies it in your brain you know, they, yeah, there's like there's an integration and also like you have to identify what is important to you to actually um like share so yeah. that's a that's a process also yeah so the education the the getting noticed piece of it and just personal creative soul fulfillment is why you guys are doing this and then there's a hardware piece too i know you guys have developed a number of tools over the years like you said you've been doing this since 2015 at least right so you've refined tools and the one that you were showing eric just a few minutes ago can you talk about those a little bit and and the beginning obviously is just light a flashlight right but you can take it all the way up to where if you're really into this genre yeah, yeah, and the, the, the plastic tube is really basic. So you were asking if you're going on, on a vacation, what do you bring with you? So uh, the, the light tube is the best because it's it's a long source of light and going to make it easier for you to disappear behind that light. Okay, there are mm -hmm. many other tools that are smaller. It's just harder to work outdoors with them. So the tube is the, the best and easiest way to get started uh, with outdoor, outdoors like we think the way we, we do it. So you could go to uh, Home Depot or any hardware store and get one plastic tube and create something cool with it. But 
this is where it gets a bit more complicated depending on the time of the night you're going to shoot you might want to have a, a different color inside of it you might want to use uh, holographic colors okay so then you have access to like tons of different colors uh, or different materials in youtube different modifiers so it's kind of like the studio photography world but for for light paintings and when you start it's hard to stop because you you keep thinking about different ways to improve your your work or, or have a different shape different texture on, on youtube so i do have my online store where i sell tubes but i so i also teach you how to make tubes the way i use them so what what a bad business decision right but <laughs> i prefer to do it this way so you can follow my tutorials and make the the, the tubes just assemble because if you get the the, uh, the plastic tube at the hardware store uh don't have one with me yeah anyway it's going to be clear okay with no color inside of it but then you can have the uh, parchment paper like baking paper inside of it so then it's going to diffuse and you mm -hmm. can add rusco gels inside of it depending on the color you're gonna get something uh, different so it's endless okay it's it's much fun i get super excited when i talk about this yeah, but it's yeah. really really fun yeah, and you start, you start overlaying things into there, right? So you start understanding and using the light tubes to do the light painting and creating different colors using using the, the proper tool. But then uh, there's also, okay, what if I want the Milky Way in the background? I want to do a long exposure and have that coming up behind Kim. And she's doing this fantastic pose. And we have this happening that, you know, you have all, yeah, like this shot. Yeah, you have all the, all the things in it's like you said, it's infinite. And then you overlay strobe in there if photographers want to start playing with that. So yeah, it's, I'm already addicted and I'm just talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Are we going to see a picture of you doing light painting in Hawaii? Yes, you will. Absolutely. <laughs> I, com I commit to that and I, I will share it with you. Well, uh, let me commit. If, if it doesn't look like crap, I will <laughs> share with it. <laughs> So, which means I probably won't hear it. Um, no, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. It's a it's a photography adventure that I'm going out there for. So, yeah, I want to I want to do that, and then I also wanted to talk about sort of forward facing. Uh, like what's next? I know like in the in beginning of this interview, I mentioned you guys are really excited and heavy into like for the past year or so into the, the Web3 and NFT space. What drove you to that space? You're already on all the socials, right? You have your website and, and merch shop and all the things. Why add NFT in that whole world of uncertainty to the mix? Yeah, we've been uh, outside of the uh like photo galleries like the physical galleries like mm -hmm. uh, art galleries for forever we don't know about the that market we don't know how to enter that and NFTs was kind of the bridge okay because it's same kind of collectors and so it was super great for us to learn about this uh, kind of communities, but also the technology itself, because when you enter to the digital collectible world, you have to learn about crypto and it's it's endless and, and it's super motivating. And one of the, the biggest uh, takeaway for us was to, uh, to improve our kind of uh, sub galleries, okay? So every time we go out now, we're thinking about like where, where the, that picture we're going to create tonight is going to fit in the big picture mm -hmm. of, what we, with, of what we create. Because it was easier with Instagram. We're just posting every day, new picture, okay? Was yeah. fun, but where is it going in the long term? Because we know that at some point, Instagram is going to be like MySpace going to fade out. It is already fading out. <laughs> it is, yeah. But digital collectibles, it's more long term because it's not a specific platform owned by, I don't know who, okay? So yeah. there's a way to think about your work in the long term when you enter that space. And Kim is going to say that in a much better way than I am. She's better than I am. No, <laughs> no, no. I think, I think that's, pretty, that's pretty much it. But I guess... It, it helped us to, it allowed us to, um, oh. yeah, I mean, he wants to say hi. Well, there was listening, the cat just jumped on the table. Is that photon? So, <laughs> so it allows us to kind of, um, 
have another uh, perspective on our own like body of work and to curate it in a way that um, we would want it to appear in a gallery or in a book or something that we didn't have in mind or that was not even like within our I'll say consciousness you know like that was not part of the the, the picture at all so we are the way now we create peace we put much more thought effort um intention which was already there but it's like it's kind of giving another uh purpose as mm -hmm. to why this specific piece more than another so it's really interesting how it it um it impacts um, our process and, and you're sense. able to you're using nfts and and pricing them using you know the whole crypto and blockchain world you're able to assign a specific value to to a piece and then when someone purchases that it instantly legitimizes that piece as being worth that much right and how does that factor into your creation process so in other words the, like you mentioned instagram photographers on instagram TikTok, or whatever so they'll feed the beast they're like oh I posted this thing and it got a hundred likes, but when I post this thing, it gets a thousand. I have to do more of that over there. Do you work in that modality? And is in, in the NFT space, if you create and release a piece that, you know, a collector purchases for X dollars and then you release another piece and it gets sold for X, X dollars. Do you just, do you create more of the bigger sell, higher selling piece or do no, your artistic sensibilities take over? And you're like, I don't care what it sells <laughs> for. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> I guess it would be logical to think this way, but no, we, we don't really care. Uh, yeah. This is not a, our main source of revenues. We never cashed out any crypto uh, by yeah. being in, in the digital collectibles world. It's just, it's more like the principle of the, it's, it's like you mint your piece, it's there on the, on the blockchain. I mean, the, the it's complex, uh, this, this discussion, I have to be careful. <laughs> it's, not the, the, it's not the image itself that is minted, but the, the contract to the, the image. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is that we're, we're not, uh, at this moment, we're not thinking about the uh, monetary value for what we're going to create, but we are thinking about the value for our collectors. Okay, so how is it going to evolve over time? Uh, we love to see some uh, interaction on the on the collection itself. So getting some secondary sales, which is super important in that in, in that space. So uh, so that's one of the reasons why we are very active on Twitter because this is where everything is currently about uh, this uh, specific thing. Yeah. Now, for the long run, uh, it's adding us a big constraint. And uh, this is not related to the price of the pieces themselves. It's just about these concepts. Like we know like we're going to shoot with fire in some locations, some, some other ones so is going to be in the sand dunes. And this we master that. Okay, we already have a lot of new images to, to, just to continue to improve the quality of our work. But sometimes it's a bit more tricky, and this is why I brought up this uh, specific picture over there. There's one collection of nine images that we're doing with green something, so that's going to be complemented with probably uh, Northern Lights. We never shot with Northern Lights, and we know it's gonna be cold. You see what she's wearing on these, uh, on these images. It's gonna be hard, uh, but that's one of the motivation, one of the goals for the, the two next years and a half because we have a goal in, am I, am I allowed to talk about that? For sure, it will be the first time sure. actually. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we have, we're on the 10 years journey. Okay? So in 2025, in August, it's gonna be 10 years, our 10 years anniversary, doing mm. this kind of work with light tubes outdoors. Wow. And by then, we need to reach a certain uh, goal with the number of pictures and different styles, different things that we're going to create. So we're currently working on this. Uh, we already created many of these, these images. We, we just came back from a two months road trip creating just for this. But then we know that some of the pictures are going to be harder to, to make. She's going yeah. to be in the snow. It's going to be cold. <laughs> yeah, and, and this, I think it comes from this idea of curating, like um, 
with intention creating um, the collection and the pieces, which gives us um, new constraints, which we love for creation. When we have constraints, it means that we can push ourselves and explore where we probably would not have um, otherwise. So I think in that sense, it's something that is uh, exciting for both of us. That's awesome. Do you, do you guys think in like when you're when you're planning, like, first of all, what is the planning process for one of these longer trips? The, are you conceptualizing what the shots are going to be? Are you in photo pills, checking out where the Milky Way is going to be and sketching out this is what we kind of want to go for? And then and then the other part of that question is, are you like Eric, you mentioned nine, the series of nine shots. Is that nine shots because you want to do a grid on Instagram or what? Can you talk through that a little bit? Uh, yeah, I guess uh, Instagram uh, probably led us to do the three by three. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but of course it looks better on Instagram <laughs> because we're taking in grids of nine. But then the nine is is a bit complex because like the first image, uh, Kim has to look uh, like towards the center, and the center one has to be very centered. Uh, so, so yeah, so the, there's a composition aspect within the nine pieces together yeah. when we look at them within like a grid of nine. So that's that's a, some serious planning, though. I mean, you that that's planning, right? I mean, like when you're out there, okay, this is shot number one, I think, or this these next three shots could be possibly shot number one. So you have to be facing that way and you know composed in this way. Okay, now we're working on shot number four, which is going to be in the middle, right? So we have to do something more symmetrical. You get so how does that planning work? Are you guys just sitting around the kitchen table and just saying like thinking of locations on the map and then what the grid is going to be and the color palette and all that or do you just get out there and well, knock it, it out yeah it depends it depends because uh, on, on some occasions like everything's going to change based on the clouds that we have uh, yeah. that night yeah. so it can look totally different and we, if we work with the moon it's, it's different also but like a very specific case we had last winter we were creating that grid of nine images with snow and we had one missing we already had one but i thought it could be better so we kept going out every time it, it was a bit snowy and we know that kim had to be on the i think it was on the left side of the frame so I, my mind was set to that uh, we were walking in the woods looking at the trees and trying to figure out the composition at minus 15 degrees celsius uh, it was kind of hard but so satisfying once we got it for very happy. We got the last one in March, which, which was kind of late in the season, but yeah, we, we got it. And it, I feel like it, it's so addictive. <laughs> when we start thinking about these grids, it's, I just I keep thinking about that all the time. And, and so, yeah. and now by having a plan for the next two years and a half, it, like, so it's clear. The plan is clear. This is what we're doing. Now, the grid, the, I love that grid concept. So the, the grid the yeah of course compositionally i understand the driving force and it's a cohesive set and it, it you know if you do it right it'll look great on instagram and all that but are you also thinking in terms of presentation in you know say foundation you know as an nft or if a, if someone buys it i mean like if you're doing this this is brilliant like if someone buys it you're playing into the human need to complete things right so if you buy one you gotta have the other eight right and if you're gonna hang these on the wall you gotta have the complete set or you could have one it'll look great but the complete set will look stunning are you guys thinking that far down the road in terms of the marketing and the psychology of it all yeah, since pretty much the beginning, uh, we <laughs> have different perks. If you get the central one, so number five out of nine uh, came with a different, uh, different value. And now we have a website that we built for collectors. So you can see your ranking based on the uh, digital collectibles that you own. So if you have a central one, you get more points. So yeah, we're playing with this. Uh, it's, uh, it's a bit of fun, but no, it, it, the grid is not uh, as beautiful on the different platforms because none are, are I don't know, they're, they're not showing the images the way we, we want, of course, yeah. but we have a site where we have links to uh, to all, um, to, to the way to, to, to purchase the, the these things, but also there are no uh, NFT platforms where you can show 
additional content for each piece. So this is why we, we built that website, nightreflection.com. For each of the images, we show the behind the scenes. So uh, me holding the tube or just the, the location itself, the environment, what we did earlier that day, what we ate in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and the story, because Kim is writing a short series about most of our shots. So, and there's nothing currently in the market to do all of that. Hopefully someday it's going to come, but for the moment, as there's nothing, there's like you cannot go to foundation and, and upload an image of the context that goes with the piece itself. Oh, interesting. Yeah, kind of like a if you buy this piece, it looks best presented this way. You're not able to do that. Are you so? I know you're selling your artwork as well. Do do you have a lot of people that are that are are printing or buying printed versions of the artwork? Is there is it mostly digital? Like what what does that side of the the business look like? We've never been into that. Never tried to sell prints. Uh, we we started actually after the NFTs to just propose that to to potential buyers, but uh, we're, we don't put any efforts uh, on that currently. Yeah. Uh, we, we do business with other things than prints. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, what's next? What's next for you guys? Like, what do you, what's the, what's the future hold? What's, what, what keeps you up at night right now? Like there's the burning thing in the back of your brain. Like we have, can we gotta, or can, or Eric, we gotta go create this, you know, or we're going to explode. What is that burning fire right now? It's winter in Montreal. It's cold, so it's studio time <laughs> for us. <laughs> so yeah. we're going to work in 360. There are so many things uh, to explore. We have a list of things we, we want to accomplish this winter in the studio. But of course, we're going to travel a bit. Um, so we're going uh, south in uh, two weeks. And, um, and next year, we're going to Photopiz. You mentioned Photopiz. I wanted to plug them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, good. Yeah, so we're doing the Philippines camp uh, every year. This is where we, we teach uh, our stuff, uh, like painting outdoors at the beach, uh, on rocks. So uh, it's, a, it's a good place to, to learn all, all of that. Uh, so Photopiz is the app that we're using to plan our nights, to figure out where it's going to be, the Milky Way, at what time, at what location, same thing with the moon. And uh, they also have a camp for photographers every year. And oh, wow. Happy mm -hmm. to be part of that. Wait, photo pills, they have a, photo pills as a camp? I didn't know that. Oh. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. That, I had no idea. I, yeah, that's great. That makes sense. Obviously, I mean, you know, t if you want to really get good at knowing your location and pre-predicting what the scene's going to look look like and where the Milky Way is going to be, where the the moon or the sun, that's the app for it. And I would imagine you guys rely on that heavily. So, what are, what's the other one? There's photo pills, and then there's um, there are no other ones. No <laughs> <laughs> Cut it right there. No way. Just photo pills. <laughs> Oh, I don't nice. know. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't mention the other one. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and on, uh, besides that, like uh, we will be creating a lot in studio, but we've been traveling for two months um, this last well, this fall, and we have a lot, a lot of the data to uh, process. Yeah, Video, my, my eyes are bleeding. <laughs> pictures. So we, we created a lot of stuff, both in light painting and in dance photography. So we're, we'll be also working on the, those pieces. Love it. You guys are busy in a, in a really good way. So let, let's let's end on uh, just sort of the gear piece. I forgot to ask you about, we talked about the lighting gear and all that. And of course, tripod is integral to all this. But what, what camera, well, we talked about lenses as well, but what camera bodies do you guys gravitate to? And then also on the post-processing side, where does the, you know, I'm sure you're not doing that much post-processing, but where does that happen? Is it Lightroom or Capture One or Photoshop? How does all that work? Camera body and post-processing. Okay, so uh, the camera, I heard on a recent podcast of yours that doesn't matter if you're using an older camera. And, True. Uh, yes and no, it depends. And on my side, I, I'm, I'm pushing the, the settings to the very limit because it's low light photography and it's it's hard to get the details that, that you want. It's, 
uh, and I, I see a drastic difference uh, at every upgrade uh, I'm shooting with Canon. I started with the um, uh, 6D, I think, uh, light painting. I started way, way before that uh, when I was doing other kind of photography, but light painting, I think I started with the 6D, so when I upgraded to the 5D2, 5D3, and then 5D4, major upgrade, the R was a tiny bit better, but then the R5, it's so good, and I've been shooting with this for uh, since its launch, so I have three of those now, this is what I travel with and uh, a bunch of lenses, uh, 14, uh, 24, 25. Always wide aperture, because this is how we can get stars at night. Okay, so mm -hmm. I'm gonna shoot uh, at f1.4, just to get more lights, uh, more stars out of focus behind Kim. A lot of our pictures are actually made with this, uh, this trick. So it's uh, very low light on the, on the flashlight itself, very dim light, and then eight seconds to get the background in a single exposure. Mm -hmm. which is bringing us to the, the post-processing. I come from the Photoshop world, <laughs> so I, <clears throat> I like to edit my pictures, <clears throat> but I, what I like on top of all of that is when my video of the behind the scenes matches with the picture itself. So over the years, I became better at getting everything in a single shot just to match with what I'm teaching because I would feel bad to add a Milky Way or add something that is not that was not there, film the process, and then whoops, here's something else that was not there. So it's mostly about uh, keeping this authentic um, experience with what we uh, what we created on one night. So video and photo has to match, but sometimes. Um, things can be a bit more complicated, uh, especially with the wind, with the snow. So let's say a um, very typical case, uh, we do location scouting during the day uh, after a big snowfall and everything looks perfect and we go back in the same night and then uh, snow has fallen from the branches so the, the foreground is not as clean. So my background in Photoshop is helping me to clean all of that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. The the new masking tools in Photoshop and Lightroom and Lightroom Mobile and other tools like Skylooms, you know, uh, the Luminar and all these these tools that do sky replacements and this advanced masking and, you know, kind of shortening the, the path of getting to a great image uh, in some ways contrasting those superpowers that those apps have now with your process of getting it all right in camera do those tools just like okay I don't care about that I'm never ever gonna do a sky replacement I'm just gonna get it you know okay and that's valid right because it's part of your process it's part of the the joy for you is the getting it right in a single frame versus creating raw materials that will then be assembled later but in through that lens do you just avoid those tools completely or if you need them you or you you'll use them what do you think i don't need them i don't use them i'm okay with the fact that it exists i think there's the same kind of conversation with ai ai yeah. art um and it's tools it's, it's good technology and I, I'm, I don't do sky replacement but i use ai in my work not to create stuff, but I'm creating in between frames in my 360. So there is a lot of value in this technology for me, but to answer the specific question about like the sky replacement, uh, it's not something I'm interested in too, but I know that it can be a great tool if you're uh, doing uh, real estate, you take a picture of your of a house, the sky was flat, it's easy, you get it, you get your new sky, so it's, it's a super great tool. Yeah, yeah, I think it depends, like I said, it depends on what the thing that you're trying to do is, right? So if, like you mentioned, real estate. So if it's real estate, you just want to get the shot of the house, you want to make it look great, the client is happy, on to the next one. But if the process is part of the product, right? If the process is, you know, we enjoy going to amazing places and pushing our photographic skills to the point where we could make a nearly perfect image in a single frame, and that's where we find joy, then that's, you know, Absolutely. Then the the question, part of the question is at the end of the day, if if a relatively inexperienced photographer 
goes out, tries some stuff, throws a Milky Way back there, and you create something amazing. And not to say that they're similar, but to a layperson, they're like, oh, okay, I, I don't know what, what's different. Do you care about that? If, if like, Is it cheating to you that a photographer would go in there and say, okay, I did this mediocre shot and made it amazing with the tools that are available versus understanding light and exposure and composition and hiking over sharp rocks to get to the great location and doing all the things, Kim holding her pose, not having any caffeine that morning, you know, all the things. Is that, does that, how does that make you feel? Does it feel like other photographers are cheating or do you, do you even care about that? I don't really care about that. I don't, I don't think about that actually. So good. Yeah. Asking me the question that I, I don't know, but I know no bad thing. Like, it, the tools are there. So I just wish people can do whatever they want. Yeah. What I don't like is when people are bashing others because of the, their te the technique they're using. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but the tools are there. Just do whatever makes you happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, if people want to use those tools as a way to um, uh, like express their creativity, I don't see there, there are no problem with that. I think they're, if they are not interested in um, learning how to master the technique, for me, these are two possibilities. Um, for us, it's really we like to say that light painting is a lifestyle, so it, it kind of, um, it's all part of that same um, like philosophy and, like, and enjoying uh, the fact that the process is uh, with kind of, I'll say great simplicity when we go out. Um, we hike for a long time with minimal gear that we need, uh, only the two of us to enjoy also like the the location, the nature, the silence. So that's, for us, that's all part of the process, but we are conscious that it's not, um, it's not for everyone and it's not what everyone would enjoy about yeah. creating light painting, so. Yeah, what have you, have, and on any of these adventures, have you guys had any sticky situations? Like you're, you're working on a shot and you know, a bear or something shows up or, or something crazy like that? Or has it been, you know, what's, what's the stickiest situation that you guys have found yourself in on, on one of these adventures? Well, she doesn't want me to talk about the crocodiles anymore, so we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no crocodiles. You can imagine something with some crocodiles, potential crocodiles. Though we didn't encounter any, but yeah. Oh, there the, was even the potential of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, and actually we love uh, very harsh conditions, like uh, strong wind. Oh, we avoid bears. Okay, we don't work in uh, west uh, western Canada because of that. Yeah. Uh, there might be other things like we, we, we work in deserts and I guess there are some dangers over there. But yeah, we never start. I think we're lucky. I don't know, but uh, but we're looking for harsh conditions like wind, snow, something that looks dramatic. I'm not sure why, yeah. but I enjoy. I feel alive when I when it's <laughs> hard. Um, but other than that, uh, no. I... Yeah, I guess that, um, and maybe that's more on my side, but. I, I like when we take kind of calculated risk. So we try to, I try to make like, to prepare things and to to be prepared just in case uh, something happens because we never know, right? Yeah, um, yeah, rooftoping, it's another thing that came to my mind. Uh, yeah. We stopped doing that. Yeah. So I think we did it twice and- What is it, rooftoping? Rooftoping, yeah. I'm, I'm not scared and that's the problem. <laughs> Um, yeah, fear it, fear is there for a reason, Eric. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. It's, it's after the shot that I realized, oh, that that was a bit dangerous. Like I was like on the edge, and nothing. And so, yeah, don't do that anymore. Just because uh, I know uh, when it's uh, daylight, I'm super scared. I, I cannot climb a ladder. But when it's dark, suddenly it's like there's no worries nothing's going to happen but it's not true so yeah. uh no, no more and I, not true. also i feel like uh, as we we were we're teaching a lot we also feel like there's a responsibility that comes with it so we we would not put ourselves in 
dangerous situations to kind of inspire someone else to do so. So yeah. that, I think that's an important point for us. And we don't do like risky stuff for nature, for instance, like we don't use paint like or anything that is a uh, chemical in the water we don't use fire near anything that could catch up on fire so no no like steel wool no Never. steel okay <laughs> okay. Uh, okay we use sparklers but, yeah, but in, sparkle. in safe areas yeah yeah that's so great I mean, you guys are so inspiring there's so much to try and one of the takeaways that i i am uh, getting from this discussion is like the a lot of people, I think people will look at your work and think it's complex. Well, yeah, the, the bullet time stuff, sure, that's complex and expensive. But the basic technique of light painting isn't, it, it's simple. The hard part, I think, is what we kind of, sh you know, shown a light on. And that's the planning part of it and the choreography and the subject and all the things that go around the actual technique of capturing the image, which is the fun part, I think. And practicing it over years and getting better and better at it is and that's the key right versus you know I got to go if I want to do this kind of work I gotta go buy ten thousand dollars worth of gear and then I could be like you know Eric and Kim no it's yeah, you can go to Home Depot right that's a super good point and and one of the proof we had because we're doing it by ourselves because we like it but is it really simple like maybe maybe not but the proof that we had over the years is that some a lot of people from our community they don't come from photography they saw our work and they picked up a camera to do light painting mm. it's cool mm. yeah that's so good <laughs> that is so good so if if we'll end it right there if folks want to follow you guys or you know learn how to do this technique or start experimenting with it you mentioned there's a checklist you have like where where should where should folks start to get to you know get going on their light painting journey on tubestories.tv. That's the starting point. Tubestories.tv. That's it. That's the that's the, the starting point for you know the, the thing that's going to consume your time for all of 2023. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah. So go there with caution. Videos about us uh, being. Uh, doing stupid things in the, in the nature, I don't know. But yeah, and we'd love to, to just show our story that how we uh, created the shot, uh, where we've been traveling and all of the uh, different food that we tasted over the years. <laughs> Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. Keep doing what you guys are doing. This is amazing. And you're you're welcome to come on the show anytime you want and and discuss this stuff. This is, you know, I, the the whole idea of light. Since you know, I was a in the military as a combat photojournalist for eight years, and when I first started, the thing that that seduced me, I guess, was light like the nerdy part of it, understanding the speed of light and how light reacts and how we really still don't understand exactly why light does a lot of the things that it does. <laughs> like gravity, we kind of know what it's going to do, but we don't know why, right? So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of mystery and romanticism to light. And I love it when photographers, talented photographers in, in teams like you guys are, take that to the next level and just sort of show this is this is time over a you know this is light over a period of time and this is the stuff that you can do with this stuff that's available to all of us it, it's just amazing so congratulations on doing what you do please do more of it i'll be heading over to what, what give me the url again eric tubestories.tv tubestories.tv which will be on the screen down here for folks to check out it'll be in the show notes and in the description of the youtube video so head over there check out the work and uh start learning you know do you guys you got so you're on social media obviously do you one of the things that we didn't talk about maybe we'll talk about in the next interview is just sort of the community aspect of the nft space and how that world is it's really interesting from the standpoint of collectors being able to be connected to the artists themselves and and have that dialogue back and forth versus hey i made this thing go get it are you finding that that two-way communication is is adding to your creativity 
or you know what do you think you know the versus say the a thread on an instagram post participating in you know discord discussions and twitter threads and all that stuff does that add to your creativity fuel or is it just kind of a rounding error on the outside not on the creative part but more about learning a different um different kind of community with yeah. characters yeah yes it's um it's a lot about relationship and understanding it's very interesting from also our perspective like our, our artist's perspective to understand what makes uh somebody else actually want to collect art like because some people collect a lot of art and uh, we create art. So it's kind of really interesting to share those perspective about um, like around the uh, same subject that is like art. So, um, yeah, yeah. All right. So, Kim, I got to tell you, I, I made a note while you were talking and the title of this episode is going to be light painting as a lifestyle. So <laughs> that's it. Well, that's it. Perfect. I, I think that if you go on, can, can you go on to stories that TV? That's that. I think uh, the the headline is uh, light painting is a lifestyle. Oh, perfect. There you go. There you go. So I'm not brilliant. (laughs) You you are. Yes. You you felt it. You felt what what was uh, about. And and that came from a debate uh, that happened a while ago uh, between light painters. And uh, the, the question was, is light painting a technique or an art form? And my answer was, it's a lifestyle. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess you have to get into it and actually make some exposures to start understanding that bit of it. Otherwise, you're just reading books, right? And looking at videos and all that, which you can do all day long, especially you've got hundreds up there, right? But when you get out there, put your camera on a tripod, make mistakes, have successes, then you start building the synapses and connections in your brain that, oh, when I do that, this happens. I want more of that and less of that, right? So, yeah. Good stuff. What I find interesting is um, a lot of people when they try the technique, what they most a lot of comments we get is how fun it is to create yeah. and explore, and and I think that's a key to learning anything. If you get like in, in a playful mode and a curious mode, it means that you are more receptive to making errors and trying things. Yeah because you're not judging. So I think that's a that's a, an interesting aspect of the technique. A lot of people just they have fun while they learn. So yeah, I think that's a good that's a good point. Like I approach a lot of life like that. Like I give myself permission to fail because I'm approaching things as an experiment anyway versus if i do this thing and it doesn't turn out right i'm a failure right if you approach it as hey i'm just experimenting and the scientific method says i have to try a bunch of different ways <laughs> in, order, in order to find the right one if you approach it that way then it's you, you take the pressure off of a failure you know because you're learning in the end you're learning something anyway so very good thank you both for coming on you guys are amazing it's a pleasure inspiring talking to you um you know tubestories.tv is my next stop on this everyone who's watching this go to tubestories.tv check it out and i gotta put you on the spot both of you you have to agree to come on again and you know discuss more things because i i want to dive in deeper on a number of topics and a little bit more on technique i want to dive into your thoughts on the nft and crypto space and blockchain all that stuff so Maybe we'll do that in another interview, but this one is fantastic. Thank you both for coming on. I appreciate it. And the future of Flickr also, right? And the future of Flickr. Yes. Where is, wait, I can never forget what side it's on. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever you want. That's going to be a pleasure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We we will talk offline about Flickr. There's some, there's, you know, I want to have some conversations and get your thoughts on, on things over on that side of the house. So thank you so much, guys, for coming on. This is fantastic. And uh, we'll talk soon. Be safe out there. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. This is Twitter.